You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. electricity i can use the better right <laughs> hey everybody wow this is dominic d'angelo i am of countless outlets so many but i'm here on the premier streaming network today with none other than rob van dam mr monday night we're recording on what is it thursday night you were known as mr thursday night though too for a bit right so sounds familiar right it works it works sure. rob, yeah, how you doing man we got a new you got a new backdrop going on right now uh, I'm, I'm digging the vibe it's looking good Hey man, every once in a while I might have to hop to another room and keep it different. Keep everyone on the toes, man. <laughs> now, how good are you at pinball? Um, I'm decent, probably yeah. no better than, you know, the no better than the next uh athletically gifted uh contestant. <laughs> With extremely great, uh, extraordinary eye-hand coordination, you know. <laughs> right. Pittsburgh, they got a big contingency where they have, like, pinball players and those leagues and everything like that. And I'm just like, wow, I never do- dove into that aspect of it. But <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I grew up uh, playing uh, pinball machines and video games. Even the home games at home before, besides the arcades, you know, I used to have the Atari 2600. I had the original. Uh, it was called Panasonic or Pana Panavision, and what? it was just it was just the, the the two like the two like. Oh, boop. pong. Yeah, boop, yeah. boop. <laughs> yeah, and move the ball would go back and forth real slow. Yeah, we had that uh, pong Panavision. I think it was called, but um, that's always been. But but I don't play that much as an adult. You know, I'm not a gamer. Um, so I, I I would most likely get my butt kicked playing uh, some some kids uh, even even if I played RVD, you know um, um, what's dude's name that um, uh, Jomo's buddy? Oh buddy, um, Justin Gabriel. Yes, Justin yes. Gabriel. He, he's doing and he's got a couple other names too, right? but PJ, PJ uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. yeah, yep. this. He had something here in Vegas uh, recently where he had a bunch of wrestlers there, and it was some kind of video game uh, playing with contestants. And uh, I was going to be part of it, but then I had a, a schedule conflict uh, with the uh, zombie movie, so I wasn't able to do it. But I was like, dude, uh, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't, 
I'm not going to do very well because, you know, once once you had to push more than two buttons, I was kind of lost. <laughs> Past that point of no return. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what game was he playing? Were they playing? Do you know? No, I'm not sure. But no. uh, I, I think Mortal Kombat had something to do with it. I don't know if it was all just that, but he made a really cool um, promo video where, like, his face and, uh, and John Morrison's face were, like, on the – Mortal Kombat. Maybe it was their whole body, but they were doing the Mortal. They were in the game somehow. What? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty cool. A little promo that he did. I'll and... have to look that up then. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I'm yeah, a big I... Mortal Kombat fan, so um... I can send it to you. Yeah, that's fucking awesome, actually. Um, damn, I know. Did you have a favorite video game when you were kind of growing up? And well, like... yeah. Uh, you know, every summer we spent at the uh, campground, which wasn't just a lake and tent, you know, I mean, it was the campground, but it was like a, a place to get away. Um, the, all the seasonals, the one, the regulars had big trailers every year. We got a bigger trailer and bigger trailer with, you know, with everything inside of it. And the, the, the place had a, an arcade and a swimming pool and a dance hall and a store and rode our bikes around a lot and stuff. But that was, that was a big part of growing up. Uh, there was a new game, usually, it seems like, every year. The oldest one I can remember that I got really good at to where I could put a quarter in and just play forever was called Jump Bug. Um, and then uh, Super Pac-Man, I got yeah. really good at that. Moon Patrol, so I go all the way through the alphabet on a, on a quarter. Um, but it does continue to get harder once you make it through the, the, the whole alphabet. But then... Uh, um, also, uh, Shinobi was one of those, not at the campground, but in the bowling alley. I used to go to the bowling alley, and same thing. Uh, it'd be a different game every year, it seems like. Matt Mania or Mania Challenge, uh, yeah. the wrestler one, that was one of them. Like It got to where uh, me or my buddy Dingo, we'd, we'd put a quarter in, and it's like, dude, we're going to be there for 45 minutes. You <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah, so go, you know, no use waiting around unless because uh, kids go up and they put their quarter up there. That means I'm next, you yeah, know. Yeah, just, yeah, right. <laughs> Bionic Commando, Bionic Commando was one of those. Uh, I'd make it like forever uh, on one quarter. Oh, man, I love yeah. the barcade atmosphere now where you go and there's just like a bar, you get hammered and you play like old, old arcade games and stuff. Does not help yeah. with my skill whatsoever, but it's <laughs> <laughs> I went to one recently, but I didn't leave the bar. Uh, no, hey, that's okay too. Yeah. You, had your own, you, know, you were playing your own type of frogger there. <laughs> yeah, Katie was running around with our um, niece and uh, nephews, or niece and nephew, I guess, and um, and it was cool because, like you said, there's a bar, so I was like, cool. I was on my cell phone doing something. Probably fighting with Twitter fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How's that been going, by the way? Is there any updates that you you want to share? Anything like that? Um, I don't think so. I don't. You know, uh, I haven't been. I haven't had any exciting days or had any uh, ongoing conversations in uh, several days. So uh, that's a no. Nothing too interesting there. Well, hey, we we touched upon it last week, guys. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, it's a good episode. We talk about basic man, but Rob really uh, we we hammer home how a lot of basic thinkers are happening on Twitter, and it it's a definite reflection of like it makes you think. You know, if you're if you're thinking outside the box a little bit, it makes you think about what you're doing. I hope it does. Yeah. Hopefully, it makes you check yourself. Absolutely. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of uh, calling people out. 
Oh, 100%. Um, so where did we I want to start here today? Um, yes, feedback. We had some good feedback. I, I took a couple comments off of YouTube here. Uh, D Hardy 316 says, I'm glad you're investing time into this RVD. Nice to see the views go up. Also, I think you've got a future in this for sure, but nothing beats RVDology. So some good feedback there that, that somebody's getting some insight from it. So that's good. Right. That's it, dude. That, may, that really goes a long way. So if you're listening and uh, give us some thought, leave a message otherwise i don't know and now i know so i'm like cool at least uh what's his name d's nuts he said <laughs> d hardy 316 oh, d's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna appreciate the next rvdology which is time to drop a new one as well oh yes sweet yeah. all right mm -hmm. so joe let's see joe you you oh man i'm gonna butcher this man joe utofaka <laughs> 42156 no, oh, 4215 says RVD should sell an RVD experience when you can just pay to just smoke out and be with them even on a Zoom chat. That would be an interesting thing to do, do a little Zoom powwow going on, I guess. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Something to think about. I don't know if I want to be that accessible to where it's just me and Joe Utah fuck off. I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you know, it's a cool idea, especially if we can have a whole bunch of us. Yeah, that's uh, maybe like a round table of like fans and stuff like that in there. Yeah. But we did do uh, a few times here in Vegas. We did the uh, um, trolley tour, which uh, was fun. Uh, we had, besides some uh, very lucky ticket buyers, we had uh, Willie Mack. Um, who else was with us? Um, oh, Chris Bay was was with oh. us. Uh, yeah, some of the guys that were around anyway, or um, or Katie might have invited. Uh, who else did? You, I don't know, but anyway, in uh, Nerd Bar, Johnny, our friend, but we went around to a few of the dispensaries that were clients, did a tour, and uh, one of them has a smoking lounge because it's on Indian Reservation. That's the new Woo Lounge. Um, Otherwise, you, you can't smoke on property yet, but that's about to change. They're giving licenses, um, a limited amount of licenses to uh, qualified places so they can have uh, consumption lounges here. Oh. In Vegas. Yeah, so but that was, that was a big part of the, uh, the bucket list tour. So that would be, would that be also in casinos too? Like lounge areas in casinos or is that in certain different venues other than casinos too that you could or be able to do that in? Yeah, it's only going to be in certain um, lounges that have the uh, the license gotcha. to do it. Yeah, they'll be open for that specific reason. Okay, cool. Yeah. Hey, it's funny you mentioned Willie Mack too because I was I've been seeing him on MLW since I covered them, and uh, you mentioned him earlier too when you were uh, during Double or Nothing weekend how you ran into him. So. Yeah, he lives here in Vegas, so yeah. um, I, I see him as much as I see anybody really. What, what do you think of Willie Mack's style and how he handles himself in the ring? And on top of that, too, I think, like, I remember both of you guys being an impact at the same time and stuff. And, like, I was like, man, they would make, like, a really good tag team, too. Like, I could see you guys have a good synergy with one another, I would think. Yeah. Um, I like Willie. You know, he's a, he's, he's a good guy. And uh, he's very talented, too. And uh, I think that his style is um, – it's – 
It's it's good and it's interesting. I think we talked last week about wrestlers wrestling out of their realm, didn't right. we? Yes. Right. Um, and and so you know to to that to that point we were talking about such things, and I was just saying the way I was brought in guys that were like Seth Rollins size wouldn't be picking somebody up a la powerbomb style running across the ring and throwing them into the turnbuckle because it, it just wouldn't have it's that's it, outside of his realm that would have been like a Mike Awesome kind of move um and uh we were talking about Vader doing the moonsault Sabu you know was told we used to, used to tell me you know that was out of his realm you should leave that to the other guys and we were that was what we were talking about um with Willie it's interesting that he looks like he couldn't do those moves, but he can. Mm -hmm. And he's not like a big guy like Vader, um, but he's got a big belly and he doesn't necessarily look like, um, like a, like a gymnast in uh, ready for his Olympic Olympic tryout or anything. Mm -hmm. so, so that contrast is something that's extra special entertaining about him seeing him, uh, fly around, you know, flip himself upside down and just be able to go, you know, a long athletic match as if he was in the condition of a, of a, a gymnast, you know what I mean? So, so for him, uh, I think that his style uh, works and that, it, and that it's cool. I don't think he's taking anything from anybody in the business as far as, uh, um, him wrestling outside of his realm. Mike Awesome uh, came up in, in, in some chat recently uh, that I was looking at somewhere, and somebody was talking about um, this very thing. You know, they didn't mention realm, but however they put it, they were talking about a big guy. You know what it was? It was uh, not Moose. I felt this way about Moose, <laughs> but they were. <laughs> But they were saying that there was a big guy that, um, uh, oh man, it was on the tip of my tongue. Impact? And I, is it from Impact? Maybe. Is it Madman Fulton? Because he does some no. crazy. No, stuff. no, no, no. But it, the thing was, I don't know. Whatever it was, it could have been, you know, BS. But it just said, you know, what happened to so and so's. Oh, you know what? Someone was being asked. An interview, I think, about what happened to so and so's career, and I don't even know if it's true or not. Oh, you know what it was, Matt Morgan. So I'm oh. saying, yeah, and, and I, I don't know if it was Rip Rogers talking about him or what. So you know, don't don't take that uh, too seriously. But someone was saying that he should have just stuck to big guy moves, uh, and he wants to show you, you know, that he can do uh, a moonsault and, uh, and, and, and a bunch of, like, high-flying moves, which, uh, you know, nobody wants to see him do. That was the context of what I was reading. It reminded me of the conversation we had. Somebody's response was, what about Mike Awesome? He was a really um, big guy, and uh, he didn't wrestle like a big guy at all. And I just wanted to comment on that. He definitely wrestled like a big guy. Oh, yeah. And that's that's what was so amazing because he would run, dive over the top rope, and land like hitting a clothesline with somebody against the guardrail. Like, boom, that brutal footage of him and JT Smith where he folds him backwards over the guardrail. And what makes that so impressive is it definitely looks like a big guy doing that move, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like a killer whale coming out of the water and splash and just water going everywhere. That's 
that was Mike Awesome's style. And he wasn't doing a bunch of backflips and landing on his feet and stuff like that. He wasn't taking clotheslines and wanting to do a, a flipping bump. So, you know, to that, I, I got to say, it was amazing that he would do that move. Um, he didn't do very many flying moves, and that's what made him still look like a really big guy doing the moves. It looked, you know, uh, action-packed, violent, hurtful, damaging. And it was – I can't believe that somebody would say that he didn't wrestle like a he big guy. He was selective, I think. You know, like when he did pull that stuff out, it was like, hey, once in a while. And when he did it, it to your point, it's like, damn, it's like – it kind of fit in his realm in a lot of ways. He made it fit in his realm. It's, for that. it's not like you give him a backdrop and he's like flipping and landing no. on his feet and jumping up and doing head scissors, you know, and uh, he, it was like, like you said, it was when he did it, it was like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, everybody was like, oh my God, why would he do that? He doesn't have to do that. He's so big. And, and so that, that's a world of difference. Um, and, and it comes across that way to me even if not to that fan or if they just, you know, really um, didn't word it well. But uh, holy crap, uh, Mike was uh, uh, super big. And he would uh, – one thing that always impressed me was he would stand in a corner with his back to the turnbuckle and he'd pick the guy up uh, on his back, you know, maybe pick him up like um, – Electric chair? I, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then he would, he would walk up the – turnbuckle like step up on the second rope backwards behind him and the risk factor with that is like so high that you're going to slip or trip even without carrying a body on top of you so that's why i thought he was a great great representative of ecw heavyweight champion because he would take those chances just to really really annihilate his opponent and then go off the top it picked the guy up over his shoulders and bam, just bring him down and smash him. And it was definitely a big guy move. It was like high risk where he didn't need to do that, but he was extreme. So he was, he was there to entertain the, uh, the awesome fans. And he, I mean, he fit the bill brother. It was like, I remember just, you know, growing up and watching ECW and his, not only his matches with Masato, or, uh, Masato Tanaka. Right. Um, but he had, um, like no like his presence as a champion was good like it yeah. and like it was a good contrast to you because you're yeah. the tv champ at the time and like yeah. what you were saying in, in one of our earlier episodes you were hoping that you guys would kind of collide at some point you know yeah after we both i wanted us to both be like separate pedestals that, that kept uh pushing the company up and building the company up so that when we finally got there all eyes would be on us. ECW would be at its uh, biggest growth, which it always was. You know, um, it was scaling up and up. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, no big hurry, wait till the moment was really organic and then clash and have those two styles come together, uh, uh, title versus title. That was my hopes. That would have been big money, big money for sure. Um, cool. Well, I, uh, we talk about, you mentioned it too. Um, you know, him taking that kind of like high risk kind of maneuver when it comes to the electric chair drop off the turnbuckle. There's been some kind of high risk moves that people have been talking about uh, this past weekend and stuff like that. The one that was the big takeaway was uh, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. And that's just happened at Forbidden Door 2 on Sunday. 
Uh, we watched a clip here. Uh, Rob, what did you kind of think of that execution and everything to that aspect of just knowing your experience of all that? Should we show it or no? Um, probably we shouldn't show it up. Probably people know what it is. So, um, <laughs> I, I don't want to get flagged for anything, you know, <laughs> so what I, what I saw, you know, the one dude, um, had the guy's arms, picked him up, uh, like he was going to give him a, uh, a, a tiger driver yep. or a tiger or a tiger bomb as it's also called. And, uh, and instead kind of let him kind of let him, uh, his form, be compromised halfway so that when he dropped him down, it was like right on his head. So it was a very uh, dangerous bump. It was a, um, a dangerous maneuver, whether whether or not uh, Kenny was no, who was Kenny was taking no Will Osprey. Osprey, Osprey delivered it, and Kenny took oh. him on it. Oh yeah, landed on his head. Mm-hmm. So so I you know either way dangerous um i you know i'm not gonna shame anybody for it because i don't know i don't know i don't know i'm not gonna act like i know what i don't know you know i'm not not gonna assume anything i know that um because i was so flexible and because i always wanted to put everything into all of my bumps and because my style is so uh action-oriented um, I used to always tell people, like, if they give me a back suplex to go ahead and, like, throw me on my back of my neck and, and have my knees, you know, overshot and have my knees bounce off the mat while I'm landing on the back of my head. And, and uh, you know, I did that to guys like Jericho. Um, I did that to guys in all Japan, and they would really take advantage of it, you know. So they would, like, really put a lot into it and, like, wham. And, uh even if it did hurt sometimes my ego would never let me expose that. So I would just be like, send it in brother. You know, you're not going to hurt me. And they would grab me. Sometimes grab me. Like you're going to, they're going to do a German suplex, but like, but throw me so that I get some air. And then wham, I'd land like on the back of my head, curl up in a ball and my knees would like hit the mat. Boom. And I would just stay like that in a ball. And it's very possible that, uh, uh, people could have looked at that in a similar way and they could have thought that the wrestler that did that to me, they could have, you know, dangerous, sure, but careless, not necessarily. Who knows? Right. And like th- those guys, were those two worked together multiple times before. And um, not that, I mean, for me, I mean, geez, it looked fucking dangerous as hell. Like I, I would not, you know, want that done, but like you don't know, you know, it's just like, okay, well, you know, I necessarily is the risk worth the reward when it comes to all that stuff. It's just like that's just a that's a debatable thing along a lot of people. Did, because it's, did anybody go to take a uh, a stretcher ride? Anyone no, go to the hospital and, afterwards? Then, no. then the risk is probably worth the reward. It looked pretty fucking good. It's got us talking. Good job. It's good yeah. for the business. Yeah, it's a and job. the reports were afterwards. Uh, Kenny remained unscathed for the most part with from the match, and both guys were fine and. You know, no injuries after that. So um, um, I wanted to ask, too, uh, it's kind of in the same realm. Um, I hear from a lot of wrestlers, too, uh, that, like, the use of German suplexes in, in matches and everything like that. Um, they I want to say it was Kurt, maybe, Kurt Angle, or Kevin, maybe both. They were both saying that once those started getting into the business more, you'd see a lot more broken necks. Do you think that has kind of a correlation with a lot of things? Or what is your thoughts on, like, the German suplex in general? 
Um, I like the German suplex. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually a go to that I would do in uh, in a real life uh, situation more so than I would in a match. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and remember, I and I remember when I was young. And and being tested in the ring a few times, I remember, you know, getting behind them and boom, dropping them on their neck and uh, and putting the issue to rest right away. So um, it's a great it's a great move and uh, and it's pretty when someone does a a bridge, you know, and holds it. Uh, it's it's not to me one of the da- most dangerous moves. Uh, some people do look like they wham like really don't take care of their opponents and really throw them hard and fast on their head. And of course that would be a different situation than just asking about a move. German suplex is awesome, but I could probably take any move and like really put a lot into it and, 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 you know, say the same thing about how, how that could hurt people. But I've never had a problem with it. Uh, one of the moves I hate to take is that fucking uh, Alabama jamma. Oh, geez. Uh, what, um, the, what Bob Hall used to do where he yeah. would, like the spine, but big elevated spine buster almost where he grabbed your legs. And then yes, sir. Yeah. I don't mind telling you my whole career. I never learned how to not get killed by that move. Um, I just never wanted to tell the guys that, did it to me, but it always sucked. Dill Wilkes uh, used to do that in, in all Japan, the Patriot. Yeah. So, and when he would do it, wham, it's so stiff. You're falling backwards onto your head. So there's not much you can do to, to, to break the, the momentum. Um, best bet you can have is to have, tr- try to have the impact distributed throughout whatever of your shoulders you can get to hopefully hit the mat at the same time. But either way, you're just going to get rocked. And like every time uh, someone would do that to me, it'd ring my bell. It knocked the wind out of me. And I would just be like, Oh, you motherfucker. But then I'd just be like, uh, all right, well, I'm going to feel too bad if I, uh, if I send that kick into the corner now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I won't feel that upset now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, German suplexes, though, um, you know, that was always I, – I like that move. I'm a fan. Is there any other moves that you were like, uh, I don't want to take that either. I'm not a fan of taking that. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm sure there's been uh, plenty, but for different reasons too. You know, like uh, nowadays the guys, the whole – this new generation that – doesn't understand anything about kayfabe you know they they do moves that don't make sense uh to to me in my mind i've turned down some of that stuff because i'm just like dude what (laughs) um one example that comes to mind was this was in ireland and this was a few years ago uh but this dude and you may have seen this i guess it's been done not to me but (laughs) The idea was that I'm standing in the corner looking away from the ring and dude is going to reach up under my legs and grab my head and pull my head down so my head goes under the second rope turnbuckle and now I'm stuck standing there with my head between my legs and I'm like, what? Dude, what what's keeping me there? And the answer was, 
kayfabe. No. No. You know, uh, so that comes to mind, you know, but, but yeah, lots of, a lot of guys want to do my moves to me, you know, and, you know, and I, I'm not someone to say no a lot of times ever, you know, it's very rare that, uh, that I say no to anything, regardless of some BS that has been, uh, put out there on the, (laughs) you know, it's funny talk to me, but, um, (laughs) But uh, but usually, you know, it's like, dude, if you believe in you, if you then you know I believe in you. But you know, if it's something where you, you where I have to have an instruction manual just to take your move, you know that yeah. that happened one time uh, too. I remember in England, and dude was like, uh, yeah. So I got you. Uh, you know, it's it's like I have you, I have you in a, in a hammer lock. And then I spin you around this way and duck your head down. And then I grab this arm and I put this arm and I put my leg over on this arm. And then we spin around this way. And then I come up under here. And when I bring you around this way and I'm like, can you just do the move to me, dude, or no? (laughs) Yeah. Just do it. (laughs) I'm not playing fucking Twister here. (laughs) I did not get what I did not smell what he was cooking. No, no. Oh, well, somebody else who did a wild move, and this just happened uh, yesterday. We're recording on Thursday here, and uh, Dynamite was on last night. And Sting, who we mentioned uh, on a couple episodes ago, uh, was in the main event with Chris Jericho in a tag match. Uh, tag with Darby Allen, Chris Jericho tag with Sammy Guevara. But then uh, I showed you the clip of uh, Sting making that big leap from the ladder inside the ring where Darby Allen was there and the referee was there as well. But then he took the dive to Sammy Guevara on the table. It was a wild move, even for like a modern wrestler, like a, you know, a younger wrestler to do, but Sting did it. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that too, especially the table, the, all, all that aspect of going into it with Sting. I thought it looked good, dude. Yeah. Um, he got, you know, it was dark. I couldn't see a lot of it to really study it and analyze it, to be honest. You know, I didn't, but um but I don't want to tear it apart anyway because it looked good and um, and it was probably a thrill for him, I would imagine, because that was you know seems like it would be and and I think the crowd extra appreciates that shit because of his age. Mm-hmm. So that makes it even cooler that he would do that. And it wasn't wasn't on fifteen people, you know. It was on like one dude in uh, two tables, and I saw one of them broke. Uh, not the other one, and uh, you know, hopefully everybody was okay. But uh, that was pretty extreme. Yeah, I know. It's he's been like that's kind of been his calling card in AEW. A lot of times he'll do some like wild jumps and things like that, where it's like, wow, Sting is wow. Like it's because you would think about it. You, we talked about like Seth Rollins doing like out of his realm moves when he did the turnbuckle powerbomb to Sting like ten years ago, and we thought he was done. Like uh, out of the, you know that was it for sting but here he's kind of you know picks and chooses moments to do this kind of stuff and so but when he got the also when he got the uh, hall, uh tna hall of fame um induction and was given that speech he was talking about how he thought he was done before then and that his back was already out and he was ready to retire and that uh um what's her name the Dixie? Uh, yeah thank you yeah Dixie and her husband actually this the way I remember the story was the husband mostly talking to Sting on the phone like hey we need you to come in you know we're doing just a pay-per-view basis only uh you know every week you you know it's boom 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 and he was like oh my back I think I'm done and they were like no we'll give you this much money and he was like 
all right, I'll come in for a while. And that was the story then. So I always will think of Sting like that. And that was that was forever ago, man. What was that was 2010. So yeah, over over 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So and he's still going, and it's like, and you know, um, I think Darby's a really good compliment to him, Darby Allen and stuff. And so um it's like awesome. Yeah. And so he's there's rumors that he's done this year. Like this, this will be his last year. I think his contract is up with AEW at some point. And um, if that's the case, man, it's been a hell of a way to sign off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to think I was going to retire like a few years ago. Uh, I can't remember. I, I don't know. I, I think put a whole lot of thought into it. I just kind of figured, you know, I'm semi-retired and I'll probably just, you know, not, take uh, bookings anymore eventually or whatever. But uh, now I don't think I ever will. I mean, why bother? I'll just yeah. probably, I'll probably be like Dory Funk Jr. And just uh, not ever not retire, you know? Yeah. yeah hey, so. You know what? And it's kind of something I've noticed too, is Hogan in, in interviews and stuff like that. It, obviously he's like pretty messed up and he's had a lot of surgeries and work done and things like that, but he'll always kind of leave the door open and create that intrigue for fans. Even if possibly he's not going to do stuff like that, he yeah. just leaves it open. And he's like, never see never brother. And so it's just like, yeah. Hey, it kind of keeps the intrigue of wrestling. That's what I like about wrestling. Like, you know? Yeah. And, and for sure, as much as I pride myself on being genuine and honest and uh, and I like to set an example by the way I live, I wouldn't want to retire and then come back two years later and wrestle again like everybody does, you right. know. So. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I would miss it, and that's why I thought it'd be easy to do before because people always ask, you know, do you miss it? But, like, no. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing it. Um, maybe if I didn't do it and I knew I wasn't going to do it again, Maybe then I would have a different. Well, I would, for sure I would have a different perspective, whatever it is. Then, but instead, you know, it's the opposite. I'm like, I have uh, one match uh, coming up for sure. I might have three before then that are that are on the uh, maybe, uh, um, you know, developmental table. Let's yeah. say so we'll see what happens uh, there, but. Um, that's but yeah, that's my thoughts on retiring anyway. What well, if people if people you know ask me like like let's say I'm uh, at a gas station or whatever and <laughs> just for whatever reason that's a scenario where people could see RVD. It is um, they uh, if someone's like uh, hey man uh, hey didn't you used to wrestle you know I, I don't bother correcting them you know I'm just like yeah dude yeah what's your name uh, yeah man. Oh man, yeah, I mean, you were the best, and, you know. Unless they say, "How long you been retired?" You know, then I, then usually I'm like, "Well, actually, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm still going. I'm still going." Do you feel like part of that is uh, you have a healthy balance of life, like in general, where it's just like, "Hey, uh, I'm enjoying my life outside of wrestling. I don't need wrestling to kind of define me or define what I'm doing in with my life." Where a lot of wrestlers, like they, it's hard to get out of that spotlight and find the way, but. You you find you're able you're in that good zone of like hey I've got a good life outside of wrestling but I can still wrestle if I want to and that's kind of a good thought too and a good vibe. Um, maybe I don't know I I I don't think that that's a a a huge I mean it's a big part of why my priority list has the contents that it does 
because I have um, a very happy life and I have something called fulfillment, which is something that uh, I need to dissect uh, for everybody. Um, not a lot of people have it. They have restlessness instead, which causes a competitive world, which is looked at as being good. Not necessarily from all points of view, like uh, like RVDs, but um, I, I think also just that wrestling in in general for wrestlers, at least traditionally, is all all they want to do. It's like you used you used to have to eat, sleep, breathe it. You you used to have to want it more than the other. 30 guys that you're looking at that you're trying to beat out, you know, to get it, to get the job. And uh, it wasn't a business that you could just walk into. You used to have to prove yourself uh, to uh, that you're even tough enough and, and that you were going to protect the business and uh, things that, um, that now, you know, some of the tests you get sued for now, it's just, but um, I think that um, because of that, I mean, I think of guys like Sabu. I can't imagine him having another job. He's he's a wrestler. His his you know he he, he worshipped his uncle, the Sheik, uh, and loved serving him, carrying his bags, learning from him, and then he's loved his whole career. And now that he's he can't wrestle anymore, he can like uh, do appearances. You know, uh, fortunately, he his brand has some value because he's been seen doing some amazing stuff. He has a lot of fans, uh, but he doesn't have any other, other interests. It's not like he's going to write a screenplay or produce a movie or, or um, open up a business even. You know, he's, he's, he's a wrestler, and he's to me, he represents a, a typical mindset of a wrestler. And, it, and, and, you know, when you think about it, since we all did have to really want it, more than anything to me, myself included, mm -hmm. you know, when I was 16, 17, 18, 25, probably forget it, you know, they try and stop me. I'm making this happen. Um, but I talk about this all, all the time as an adult, I have uh, reprogrammed myself and I feel like part of that is something that you do also during your career, you know, during the lifespan of your career. So not just going from a kid thinking, you know, you drop 50 cents under your pillow and wake up, the tooth fairy visited you during the night. You go from thinking that to then you're an adult and you reprogram yourself to think, hey, that comes from us. I'm going to do that to my kid. I think in your career span, the, the lifespan of that, the things that you originally do it for, you remember those, but you, you, you have to adapt or else you don't have a plan for success. There, it's not, it's not uh, a plan that is set up for growth. Mm -hmm. If yeah. you stay in that same mindset. I mean, imagine like originally it was get all the ring time you can, you know, yeah. you can get booked twice a night, forget what they call you, what they're doing with you. Take, take the book and take the booking, take that book and you need ring time. Can you imagine if you never stopped that and you're wrestling like 20, 30 years and you're wrestling for every indie little show? Yeah, there's a show at the car lot. I got to make it, you know. got to like, go. <laughs> <laughs> it's dollar dog night. I got to be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think it's 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 more that, that uh, they get it, uh, you know, because it's like 
I would miss being around. Like if I never got to see any of the boys, never did another convention signing or went to a wrestling show. I think I would miss that. You know, I'd be like, man, that's, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, I miss seeing them. They were cool um, guys that I'm happy to see. Maybe not as much as most people, but I would, I would feel that. Yeah, for sure. No, I think, yeah. and I think that's kind of the the aspect that kind of lingers. I'd imagine with wrestling and just with anything too is like that bond and kinmanship, you know, that you have with one another. And it's, you know, if to, to take that away, I think would be a little bit more. And typically, and typically, and of course, this may have been uh, more true the further back in time you go, but typically the boys would adopt each other as their family and kind of put their their home life on hold back on the back burner. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. by wife and kids. And then from there they're on the road for a few weeks. Whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? they 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 love each other, the guys, you know, oh my God, the adventures we have and and a lot of them live for that, for that uh that bro time you know but um definitely a lot of the guys know a different side of a lot of husbands than their wives know in yeah their business. yep absolutely you know and mm-hmm. i hear about that a lot too um all right somebody that uh we got a wrestler spotlight we have this week again uh and uh the person we're talking about is going to be taz so um Brother Taz. Brother Taz. So when did you first meet Taz? Um, I think I met Taz in uh, WCW. So this oh, is, really? uh, yeah, early 93. Um, just I just picture him being there. Like I, I remember seeing him one time and he had the fro. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I don't know why he was, why we... I feel like I talked to him like we had a mutual person that we both knew. So it was probably Sabu if he knew Sabu way back then. Um, but for me, WCW was December 92 through May of 93. So it would have had to have been in that time period. Wow. Okay. Okay. The Tasmanian uh, devil. Yes. The, yeah. When he's like the Tasmaniac and all that stuff. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Way back when. Very different look too. If you get if uh, you listeners or viewers haven't seen a picture of him back then, it's much different than what the Taz you got accustomed to in ECW. <laughs> that was more than thirty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, how'd you guys first get along uh, when you first met? Well, uh, I, I, you know, when I just met him right then, it was just like in passing. You yeah, know, like, like some, and it was just crazy. like, oh yeah, boom. What you like? How you doing? Whatever. Hey, good luck. Um, something like that, real quick. Boom, boom. Pick a hand. I don't know. <laughs> well, how about when you got got more into ECW and you guys shared a locker room and everything like that more so? Um. So my first impression of him then was that he was nuts. That was okay. my first impression of him. Yeah. Um. And I'm. If you recall, I've I've explained how like Sabu brought me in and showed me around the dressing room and, and told me like, he said, most of these guys, you know, a lot of them don't work 
except for here or a couple of promotions right here in town. So they think they're better than they are, but those guys over there, they suck. You know, they get, <laughs> those guys, yeah, they're all right, but they think they're better, whatever. Um, uh, what, so um, during this time, uh, the first time I remember noticing Taz, he, you know, we dressed in this big warehouse mm -hmm. uh, for, for the floats that they had oh, there. The, yeah. Uh, oh my god, May, Marion, May, May, Mayflower, Mayfair. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's what the uh Viking Hall or or what's it called now? The address arena, 1223. Oh. Yeah, the 2300 arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2300. So that's what it, what it was, anyway. Um, they it was a place where they stored all these big floats and um. And so our dressing room was a big open room when the ceiling was way up there. There were steps that went up to a second level and that was still um, visible, you know, because of the ceiling space and stuff. So you could see everything. And then, then you went through like a little passageway and there was a much bigger area where the floats actually were. And there was like an outhouse back there. That was what we had to, uh, to use if we had to uh, pee or something at first. Um, and, uh, that's where I met Ray Mysterio. I was, I was walking out there one time and he was with a, uh, a fan, the dude that used to be in the front row with the dreadlocks and, oh, and that okay. dude, that dude with the, with the dreadlocks, uh, who lots of crazy stories, not s several anyway with that dude, but, um, he had the loudest, loudest, um, weed. Like I was like, I was, I'm going to go to the outhouse. I was like, Whoa, and I was just like turning and I looked and there was like a little a little thing where there was like a second level that dropped down and you could kind of like see yeah. up you could see in between and uh Rob, Rob, hey, do you do you, do you smoke weed? I was like, do I? <laughs> <laughs> but uh but back uh, back through the door into where everyone's dressing, uh Taz would be surrounded literally by his guys, Team Taz. He had uh, how many were there? Six guys, maybe uh, or so, and they had orange jackets on. Team Taz, and they stood in a circle around him, and he stood in the middle. And uh, he was getting it. This is in the dressing room, and uh, he would get himself uh, warmed up. You know, just. <sighs> You know, like getting warmed up and like uh, rocking back and forth and, and getting all tensed up before the show. And I remember like uh, sometimes if, it, if uh, I had to talk to him, um, I would have to go through them, you know, and, and, uh, and, they, and they would have to tell Taz, <laughs> who's right behind him, tell Taz, hey, uh, you know, RVD wants to talk to you. And, uh, they have, it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was intense. And also I thought it was crazy. And uh, I've been on uh, Taz's radio show and uh, we talked about this. He doesn't remember it at all. Uh, or he doesn't remember it that way anyway. So that, you know, that's really funny because um, that's, that's how it was. How about that? It's almost, it feels like almost like, like a fucking nightclub, like a speakeasy you have to go into where it's like, what's yeah. that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. So when um, did the heat between you two start? Was there like a specific incident that caused problems between you two? Like when you 
Pit Sabu not long after you came into ECW, or was it what just it was a gradual heat that kind of like uh we're kind of not vibing very well? Um, I think I think maybe it was all of the above, you know, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we all had different understandings of what was going on. I don't know, but most mostly I would hear from Sabu, you know, and I rode with Sabu and Sabu at that time liked to talk about Taz the entire trip. Uh, I don't know why. It's just sometimes uh, it's like that. He would imitate his voice, you know, brother, there better not be orange. You know, we, and we would laugh and we thought it was so funny. Like all day we would talk about him and <laughs> like all day there was like, you know, it was obvious that Sabu must have had some respect for him, you know, but it, and then at the same time we would, we would laugh about, uh, about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know why, like Gary Albert was like that about Johnny Ace and all Japan. It was like all day, except for that one, had a lot more negative energy behind it than, than Sabu's. But um, I would hear from Sabu a lot of times that, that he would tell me that Taz told him something, you know, um, you know, uh, Taz is mad that you beat me. You know, no one ever beat me uh, I, since I've been here and we were building up, you know, to this thing. I mean, Taz are going to do, uh, he want to be the first guy to beat me. So, he, you know, he's kind of mad, uh, but but it was just right. The timing was just right. You'd be like, whatever. You know, I'd hear little comments like that. And then, um, and then they built up and they started getting insulting, you know, because then uh, when Sabu would tell me the story, he would, he would always have when he's quoting Taz. He always referred to me as your boy. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell you, you know, tell your boy, you know, tell your boy, he better, better watch himself. You know, and then I'd be like, he said that. What? So yeah, uh, he was really stirring up the pot the whole time. Sabu uh, was. Whether, was well, I mean, it was maybe true, but he was the one that was telling me. Yeah. You know, sure. And, and and I got to where I was like, man, you know, d- does this guy, I mean, Taz think he's going to just like wipe his feet with me? Like, that's how it felt. It sounded like, like he must have no respect for me and think for some reason that I'm a pushover, you know, like I'm going to have to like really hurt him bad. That's what that was. That's what was in my mind. Uh-huh. You know, like, I mean, this guy, I got to take him down from the cloud that he's on. You know, like like a really far. I mean, I I'm I had some some bad thoughts in in my mind. You know, I don't get that I don't get that way often, but I was convinced. You know, after a while, um, especially because uh, like Sabu when when it was when I really got. Uh, <laughs> I'm just putting a couple things together. There was one time when Sabu was like, um, uh, "Would you just kick his ass?" He goes, we just kick his ass. I'm sick of him talking shit about you. What? He's still talking about me? And Sabu said that he's like, uh, he, that he was saying, uh, man, I'm going to have to whoop your boy next week, you know, and, and this and that. And I was like, what? He said that? And I couldn't wait to see him the next week. And uh, Tats, or Sabu was like, will you just call him? And uh, I don't remember if I did call him or, or we texted him, but we communicated over the weekend or over the week. Like, I can't remember even how we did, but we went back and forth to where it's like, dude, when I see you in Midtown at this really shitty flea market, (laughs) (laughs) you know, 
it's on. I can't wait to see you. I'm gonna sh I'm gonna shut you up permanently. I mean, you know, that's thank God that didn't happen. But well, I gotta up, ask, how much? This is just a build, bro. This is just a build. Yeah. Well, how much? So Sabu was having a pretty good time with this, like stirring the pot. Would you say was he like, like was it kind of a funny? I like, don't. Oh, I don't know that he. I mean, stirring the pot doesn't mean that you're adding to it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. But was so I don't know. I don't think he was. You know, I don't know. I don't think okay, he was. Okay, because he would quote. Like... He would make quotes. You know, like he would say it like in Taz's voice. Yeah, like... brother, brother. You know, you you your boy's gone too far. I'm gonna have to teach him a lesson, man. When I see him next week, you know, I think I'm gonna have to teach him a lesson. And it just felt like I was so disrespected. And when finally, when we had, uh, we made it to that show in mid Midtown or Midway or whatever. And then when I saw him, he was just like. Um, you know, I was just like, yeah, man, let's boom, let's go do this. And in my mind, I mean, I was really looking to do some not not zenful things. You know what I mean? I was willing to put my zen aside for the purpose of taking care of business. And and then Taz was like, he got real personal. I was like, brother, he goes, I know we both said some stuff that we didn't mean this week. He said uh, his grandma died and he was really sad. And he's like, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't feel like even being here tonight. Boom, boom, boom. And you know, he opened up his heart. You know, and it was like, I don't think I said anything I didn't mean, but, uh, but I get, you know, that this ain't happening now. And um, and so I, I guess he's saying, you know, let's forget about it. There's more serious stuff in life, whatever. But then it built up again after that. And and what I remember as the final uh, point. Uh, besides continuing to go through Sabu, I don't know why they talked all the time. Um, but uh, we were in New Orleans and we had this uh, three-way match. Bam Bam Bigelow was part of it. And uh, anyway, um, I had, uh, oh no, I had already had a match where I, where Taz got, caught some potatoes. We had a match, you know, he he had he was offended by the match, <laughs> by the, because because he was like you know, he, he was like brother you know I've, I've never had anybody like you you busted my lip you you know you crushed my larynx you you hurt my shoulder and uh, it got you know it was a point where um, he was he didn't know what he wanted to do but he was hot yeah. he felt like someone had really taken it to him in that match and that was at the affiliate in ECW. And uh, Chris Candido and Perry Saturn were, uh, were you know, really, like, uh, massaging him up, stirring the pot to go back okay. to that expression. They were. They were saying, bro, I really totally didn't take care of you. You know what I mean? Like, he, felt, he bam, he threw that. And, uh, and he kept coming back to me. And, uh, and this is the way that I was trained, you know. I was like, uh, you're right, dude. You know what? You owe me. I said, go ahead. Hit me right now. He said, what? And I said, go ahead. I got it coming to me. You know, no, let's let's make it even. You, you owe me one. I'll take it. And he said, no, it's not going to be like that, but you got something coming. And um, after that, then we have the New Orleans match. There's a, there's a spot in there, one, two, and I'm coming in to make the save. Mm -hmm. And right when I get in to make the save, Taz comes out of nowhere and then bam punches me in the face and uh and then i took offense to that because of the build up and because 
I had uh, apologized, I think, when I hit him and I didn't get one back, you know, and, and so um, and so I was already in my feelings, you know, about that. And then when I and then um, Paul and Tommy Dreamer, I think Lance too, Storm, told me that when he came through the curtain and I was still in the ring, they said that he picked up a cinder block and threw it into the wall and said, I'm going to kill Van Damme. And I was just like, what? Because he's gone now from the building. Like, yeah. are you, you, he, what? You couldn't have told me that when he was here? I was like, are you serious? Like, I was, I, I was like, forget it. I was like, forget it. Forget it. And that's why I was like, I'm done talking. I don't want to yell. I don't want to push. I just want to fight, you know. So the best way to get there is just to walk up and smack someone across the face and be like, dude, come on. This is happening. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Um, All right. So before we get to that, so Chris gave me some notes here. Um, Maybe this is around that time or something to that effect. But let's see here. When people talk about the next next eight questions whenever I do an interview. (laughs) (laughs) When people talk about your heat with Taz, they almost always refer to certain incidents, which we'll cover. So that's what we're talking about. But this particular one you never talked about. You and Taz would wrestle each other in a match that happened at the arena and aired on ECW TV in late 1996. He says, you went outside of the ring, got a chair, came in, hit him in the head with it. You then ripped him into the corner, he came out, and you threw a chair into his face, and it hit him directly in the face, hard. And as Tad laid there, you did the double thumbs, which might have been your first time you did it, actually, uh, Chris noted. And then Tad then crawled to the corner, and you did a running drop kick to the chair. He protected himself on that one, but then you put the chair on his chest and walked away. And as you were walking away, Tad threw the chair at, what, at you in what appeared to be a very angry fashion. You then ran at him. And he single-legged you to the ground, mounted you, and started punching you. Several of them looked like she punched He said, he noted. He says, you rolled him over and hit him a few times, stood up, picked the chair up, and threw it down on his face in the, in the corner of the chair and hit him right in the face. You remember this? And was there some problems there? That's exactly what I was just talking about. That was So that's exactly what you were just talking about? Okay. And so that's that's exactly what uh, Candido and Perry Saturn were telling him. You know, dude, he just pick that chair up and just threw it like right in your face, you know, and like totally like, you know, like that was, that was a dick move. Like he totally, you know, was, that was unprofessional, um, whatever, you know, can't let him get away with that. Boom, boom, boom. That kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. And that's exactly what, that's exactly the, the same, same moves that he's talking about. How about that? You and Chris are on the same wavelength here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. Okay. So in 1998, the FTW world title was introduced for Taz. Did you have an opinion on that belt? Like, did you think it was necessary? Do you think it was a cool out of gimmick? Did, where'd you kind of lay out on that one? Well, being in that competitive state of mind that I was in, you know, and being in the Sabu car where we would laugh at him all day and stuff, I just adopted Sabu's opinion, which was like, um, Taz doesn't have a belt, so he went and had his own made. <laughs> Look at that. It doesn't mean anything if you get your own belt made. What the fuck? So at the time, you know, that's that's how I saw it. You know, to be completely honest, that's how I saw it um, back then. And then, and then, of course, when he got that, it also, um, to me, represents the time when they changed the looks of the belts 
and then uh, all the the FTW and the the new tag belts, everything was uh, a new a new look from this company called Jmar, and so they wanted uh, me to take the new TV championship uh, silver belts and to uh, and to give back the uh, the old school television championship that I won from Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, yeah. And so, how'd you feel about that? You you did not want to do that. I didn't want to do it. I really liked the old school um, look. I thought it was hardcore. Um, plus, you know, I just didn't want to agree with Taz. <laughs> 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 and uh, and I kept saying, you know, okay, yeah, I'll bring it next week. Uh, and then I'd forget, you know. And then okay, yeah, no, I'll bring it next week, and I'd forget. Um, but I was doing that on purpose. Like first yeah. I was first I was wearing my old belt, bringing that and still wearing it. And then when they, you know, Taz would be like, Hey Rob, how come you're not wearing the uh, the new belts? And then eventually he was like, you know, it kind of looks funny, like oh we all of us have this new this belt look and you're the only one not wearing it. And uh, so I started wearing the new one, but then I left the old one at home and that's when I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll bring it next week and I'd forget it, forget it, forget it. Uh but the thing was um, I, it, what it took was uh, Taz was like, "How come you're not?" I forgot about this. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> How come you're not wearing that belt? And I said, "Because it's it's silver. You got the TV championship that I'm main eventing the shows with. That I'm making uh, the value um, rise to compete with the heavyweight championship belt." And you got me a silver belt, and the FTW belt is gold. That's why I don't wear it. And he goes, oh, well, you should have said something. And so then they traded the silver TV championship belt for the gold uh, television championship belt. And then I felt obligated. And so then that's when I started wearing uh, that one and then conveniently forgot the old school one at home. Oh, Okay. I think that's pretty neat, actually, because it's like, hey, that's a touch to detail right there, even, you know, silver, gold, you know, bam, it means something, especially uh, when you're, yeah, especially when you're really in your, in your feelings on that competitive level, you know, where you're really got to watch out for yourself and your image and, uh, you know, how, how everything reflects your, your whole, um, your whole, um, the way that you're presented to people, the way that they perceive you, everything is, is a factor. So you gotta be cognizant of that. Yes. Gotta be aware, you know, it's, and to what you were saying, we were saying about CM Punk, it's like, it helps to have like an ego to an extent and like, you know, get you further on. So we all, you have to even, you have to even to think that you have a chance to, I think, right. <laughs> even yeah. Yeah, let alone uh, to kind of promo and, 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 and try and uh, convince us. You know what's really hard? When you know you're going down and you got to do a promo, convincing everybody that they can believe in you, you're not going to let them down. You're going to beat Randy Orton tonight. Yeah. You're going to yeah. beat Randy Orton tonight. They can People can count on you. You're their man. And you know you're going down. Now go. Put some heart into that. See how fun that is. You know what I mean? Like... Well, that's a tough thing too because you're also you don't want to as a baby face you don't want to like hey I'm gonna guarantee a win or anything like that because it's like you're a baby face and you're not delivering so it's like man I, how do you come up with it and like and 
not only that, but channel the passion that you're like the conviction that you're going to win. It got harder. It got harder and harder and harder for me, especially when I felt like, like I felt like we were telling the same story, you know, like um, RVD. I had some great matches with Randy Orton, so I wrestled him a lot. But it seems like it was kind of the same story, kind of like, uh, you know, hey, Randy's the future and RVD, uh, maybe not so much. And uh, same thing when I wrestled like Seth Rollins, you know, my 2013 run, you know, I, I went over everybody. That was awesome. I don't think I had a win on Shield. Um, not that I can remember, but probably not. But then 2014, everyone that I had beat got a chance to wipe their feet on me. And, I, and so um, that was a part of my, uh, my my 2014 run. But I wrestled Seth uh, so many times and Dean Ambrose so many times. And it was like, uh, I don't believe that I'm going to win. How am I going to tell these people about this Pro Bowl <laughs> and make them how am I going to make them believe in me when I don't believe in me anymore? Right. You know, I, I don't get it anymore, man. It's, it's just not going to happen. I'm going to beat his ass for a couple seconds. For anyway. a couple seconds. <laughs> oh, man. Well, how do you think Seth Rollins is doing today real quick? Uh, just as on a regular viewpoint. Well, I mean, I don't know currently what his situation is, except, you know, that he's – um, had a had a hell of a career, obviously, and uh, and um, you know the WWE seems to really love him, and uh, um, hopefully he likes being married to a top female talent in the business too, because uh, that can that can make life uh, cool. I know from personal experience, being married to a girl that's a wrestler, like um, it really helps being on the having the same. Um, the same views on a lot of things by default, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And somebody that you can relate to on a lot of level with that. Yeah. That you wouldn't be able to share with like a, somebody like a me or, you know, Joe Schmo that's out there, you know? So that, yeah. Or, or yeah. Or even like another, you know, wife that's, that's not in the business or in the entertainment business or familiar with it. The entertainment business in general is like a whole nother universe. And a lot of times I forget um, when I'm on the other side of the fence, like around normal people, that uh, well, yeah, they're not exposed to like the whole, um, the whole uh, reality that is my world. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely true too. Mm -hmm. All right, we've arrived here. It's the famous incident, the pick a hand incident. What happened? What led to it? When what led you to decide to confront about it? And why did you decide? On pick a hand. What walk, walk through us? What happened that that day? Yeah, well, in order to tell that story, I have to go back before that because, uh, in order to answer why pick a hand, that was um, all of a sudden Billy Jack just popped in my mind, which you don't know, but famous fighter from way back in the day, and he says, "I'm going to put this foot." right there on that side of your face, right there. And there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. The guy goes, oh, yeah. And he goes, wham. Really famous scene. Um, that I'm inspired by his pacifism, um, Billy Jack. But uh, see, the whole story is that uh, Randy, the music guy, mm -hmm. had disrespected me. 
And uh, he did in such a way that I felt that it warranted a slap. And uh, the wives used to sit behind the music guy in ECW, uh, that part of the crowd, stands, chairs, bleachers, whatever. And uh, the wives would sit together and talk or whatever. And, and my evil ex started uh, telling me after the shows that he was getting weird with her oh. and, uh, and telling him uh, that his telling her Randy music dude is telling my evil ex that his wife has a crush on her. Really? Right. So that's skimming boundaries. You know what I mean? Like to go to somebody's. And so already, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I got an eyebrow cock. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. I'm like, you're already. All right. You know, that's not <laughs> yeah. cool. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to him and I'm going to have to uh, find out what's up. I'm going to have to have a word with them. Well, before I get a chance to do that, another show passes another week. And then my evil ex says uh, that he's been talking more about it. And that um, he says that he's going to bring some nude pictures of of his lady for her to see next week. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, um, that's cool. You know what? I'm going to smack this dude. I'm just I'm just gonna go up to him, and I'm gonna smack him really hard, and then uh, that's gonna fix it. He's gonna know what it was for. It's gonna straighten him out. I don't need to hurt. I don't want to break his nose. I don't want to put yeah. him in the hospital. He doesn't deserve that. That's how I felt. That's mm -hmm. totally how I felt. You know. So the next week, um, I got to the building. I walked right up to him, and I said, "Hey, Randy, pick a hand." He said, "What?" I went smack. And I smacked him across his face. And um, I said, you know what that was for? And he says, uh, yes. I said, okay, then. And I turned around. I started walking away. And he goes, but Mr. Monday Night. And I turned around. I said, Randy, shut your mouth or you got more coming. Right now we're cool. Do you understand? And I turned and walked away. And it, it sounded everything. Everything was cool. And he didn't talk to me um, until like several weeks later once I – made it allowed it to be known that i was comfortable and it was cool to talk to me again and we we're gonna let that pass yeah hey so it did solve it huh <laughs> so i told you is this huge build-up between me and taz was going on i was feeling that man this guy must totally for some reason think that that i'm just gonna be a blowover and he's gonna you know wipe his feet on me which uh-uh you know, like I'm going to, he's going to regret ever. He's never going to think that about me again. You know what I mean? I had in my mind, I had some really damaging, violent thoughts building up uh, during that. And then um, I, th I thought, you know, after he allegedly threw the cinder block into the wall, said, I'm going to kill Van Dam. After he allegedly did that, um, I knew like, yeah, the next time I see him, you know, I just, I'm, I don't want to talk. I don't, you know, I don't want to push. I don't want to uh, anything. Let's just, let's just do it as soon as possible. You know, like if I could have, I would have stopped at his house a day early. You know what I mean? But I was going to see him there. And so I thought, you know, that he, he, th if he really thinks he's a God, uh, I'm going to treat him like the fucking music guy. 
Yeah. That's going to be so insulting to him. That's what I thought in my mind. So did we get around about the music guy? Like that, that you did pick a hand with music guy. Yeah. 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 I think people forgot about it now though, because, Uh because I think that doing it to Taz outshadowed it, Mm -hmm. but everybody, everybody knew though. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and ECW was very small like that, where everybody kind of knew everybody's thing, you know. Right, right. But yeah, so so the next time I just that's why like on the way to the building, uh, Sebu was imitating Taz like always, like brother, you better not be wearing orange. I own orange, (laughs) you know the normal stuff. I was just you know like, just like you know in my own world like. Uh, I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm going to do because I don't want anybody to stop it. That's the last thing I want. So I didn't mention to anybody. Not even Sabu? No. No, okay. No, because I didn't want anybody to stop it. Like I really just wanted to go from here we are to we're fighting mm-hmm. as soon as possible. And so, so I thought, you know, when we got there, um, you know, I looked for him, just went straight to him and thought yeah i'm gonna treat him like the music guy because he'll be so insulted since he obviously thinks he's a god and thinks that i'm uh you know um something under the carpet that's how i felt yeah so that's what i to him and said uh and i called him by his name to totally disrespect him because you know that was part of what we made fun of was we thought that he was crazy and believed in his gimmick too much, you know? And so I thought that'd be great to just go up and said, you know, Hey, Peter, pick a hand. He said, what? Smack. And I smacked him. And, um, he, what he did was, uh, he, he, he stood up and he, he moved his uh, fanny pack, you know, which is kind of in your way. A lot of times you got to move it so you can move your legs. Uh, you know, if you're in a situation, but anyway, he moved the fanny pack and he stood up and I said, uh, okay, cool. That worked. We're fighting. And so I threw a jab at him, pop real quick and, and, and just, you know, boom, hit him in the, in the mouth. And I wanted to follow up with a power punch and just like knock him out of his boots. You know what I mean? But I was noticing that he's just staring at me with his hands down and, and I didn't, I couldn't just punch him like that. You know, I was like, yeah. dude, it, come on, put your hands up, dude. We're fighting. He's like, Rob, what? Where's this coming from? I was like, come on, Peter. You know where this is coming from. We're doing this. Put your hands up. We're fighting. And he's like, I I don't understand. Like, what's going on? I said, you know what's going on, dude. I just smacked you in your mouth. This is happening. Come on, let's do it. And uh, and it was obvious he didn't want to fight. And uh, and I knew I caught him by surprise. I mean, that was the, the you know, the agenda. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, I mean, I could have said, let's – Let's go meet out back and fight, but then he, you know, he probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, he, I was like, "Come on, man! In front of this, let's let's do this." And he goes, he goes, uh, "Rob, we need to talk." And he just turned his back and he like walked out the door, and I walked out following him. And he and I uh, had a talk out there for a long time, and then uh, we ended up hugging it out, growing it out. I've heard um, a bunch of the guys. I don't even know if they were all there, but I've heard them all tell different versions of the uh, story. But that's exactly what happened. Wow. Wow. Couldn't get him to fight me out there. And he was like, I don't want to get too personal, but, you know, before he had a family tragedy before this time, he had another one. Oh, man. Um, 
yeah, this one, maybe even a little, uh, you know, you know, it, it was, it was hurtful, you know, when he told me he was going through and, and let's just say, you know, that, you know, afterwards, like, I just, I didn't want to fight him. I wanted to hug him. And, and, uh, after that, we've always gotten along and, and he's, you know, uh, good dude, good business dude. And I got a lot of, uh, respect for him and I'm, and I'm glad, you know, I, he had to eat. He had to eat shit, and he, his ego took an ass whooping because a lot of people, you know, would be like, dude, you just let him slap you? You know, that's always going to happen. There's going to be um, – and, and I've been in situations, too, where I'm like, man, I let that guy talk to me like that. Should right, I have done – Sure, yeah, everybody. We, we, we've all been uh, in there, but, but I know, I know uh, in the bigger picture, it's way better that nothing happened because I know what I had in my mind was not good. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's I don't, it's a very much like almost like a, it is a life experience, you know, where it's just like, oh, man, like yeah. you both kind of learn from that. And you you grow as a person in, in those kinds of instances. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and no, Taz, I, I like Taz. I've interviewed him once, I believe. And yeah, he was great. So he, it's like awesome. Yeah. Very down to earth, dude. Very funny, friendly. How do you, this is off topic real quick, but how do you like him as a commentator? I think, I think he's one of the best to be honest. If I had to give yeah, my uh, No, I think he's good. Uh, definitely. You know, I, uh, I like the little personal touch cause he can say, uh, believe me, I felt some of those Van Damme kicks. <laughs> cause he certainly has. <laughs> well, what was uh, Paul's reaction to all this and that? How did he kind of, did he come up to you guys? Was he had, I, was he happy at the result, all that stuff? Or how did he kind of balance out in this? I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember. Um, most likely, he put us in the ring together. That's usually what the industry would do. And definitely, Paul was part of that part of the industry where normally, if two guys fight uh, the next week, you have them wrestle each other and uh, – it, it, it solves things pretty quick, you know, like, um, so I think that's what happened. Well, it, so Chris has here too, that, um, you would wrestle each other in what would be Taz's last pay-per-view match in ECW at November to remember 99. And you won clean with the frog splash. Uh, do you have memories of that match and leading up to it or anything like that? Not specifically. No, but one thing that was cool was when, uh, Taz would come running at me and I'd have my back to the corner and I'd pick a boot up. I liked how he would like throw the boot up and just grab around me with my leg and like do a suplex uh, with my, with my legs sticking up by my head. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That's like almost like a capture suplex or something like that. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. um, when you guys, when you went to the WF in 2001, Taz would still wrestle on occasion. In fact, you and him teamed up on raw against Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho. We but did. He, yeah. and he, But he was mainly a commentator at the time. Your guys' relationship was pretty damn good at that point then, huh? Yeah, and obviously, before you asked me if I have memories of this one, I didn't know it happened. That sounds awesome. Though. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a really great match, actually. But yeah, by this time, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't know when I did his radio show, but I mean, we were cool way before that, but that was when we actually talked about it, you know, on his show, you know, and I had to tell him same thing <coughs> that I had said about the CM Punk situation, you know, like we're all, we're all, um, 
egomaniacs to to uh to do promos and, and talk about how I'm gonna be the one that leaves that ring standing high, being high, holding my championship belt high. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it takes an ego to fucking even turn that on. Um, and the more you believe in yourself, uh, the crazier you seem, the better chance you have of being, you know, of really uh, having it. The best are the craziest. I had to tell him all that too, because I mean, it's true, you know. Um, he didn't remember uh, a lot of the stuff the same way that I did. So it was a cool uh, kind of like um, heart to heart, you know. And again, I tell, I'm glad that he was man enough to figure out how to get us out of a situation that I thought there was only one way out. I said something before, and I actually found um, a comment uh, where it helps somebody because I always say this. I always say, uh, you know, that I never feel like I've got no options, ever. Um, I thought if somebody said, man, that, that helped me out, you know, with my situation, uh, because I always feel like there's options. You might not like the options, but I never feel like there's only one option. But what I wanted to do was put me and that man, uh, in the middle of a fight so that there was no option except for the fight. But obviously, you know, like you said, it was a growing experience. I learned there was still an option and I'm glad that he saw it, that he saw the option to, to get us out of that uh situation because yeah. that proves it there's always options that de-escalated it all you know yeah yep mm -hmm. what do you think about taz's legacy overall in ecw um he was he was you know built like a uh we we built him promoted him like a monster um and, you know, he's really, I, you know, secretly he's not that tall. Um, but uh, it worked, though. I mean, it was already be like that before I got there. The crowd loved him. He's one of their favorite guys. So, you know, I feel like he has to be up there on the Mount Rushmore with uh, with the original uh, ECW guys. Like I said, when I got there, him and Sabu were already working on uh, – they weren't wrestling each other, but they were building this angle to hit way down the road. Um, at least that's what Sabu was trying to do was wait and 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 just like I want to do with my costume, you know, build everything, not not tomorrow, but you know, build the crowd, uh, build the interest, all that. And anyway, uh, you know, the way the crowd took to him, you know, and I was just a heel for the first time, really. Well, you know, to this extent, anyway, where where I had to, after Sabu said not to shake his hand in the uh, respect match, I had to get used to uh, eating doo doo from the crowd. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so, like, Taz would uh, be coming out there, and I'd be like, uh, I'd be like, you know, bowing up, thinking, yeah, uh huh. And then, you know, let's see what he's got. And the crowd's like, Taz is going to kill you. They're like, what? <laughs> what? Man, they really believe in this guy, you know, <laughs> and they did, you know, it worked what he did. He come up and wipe his feet. We just like leave the ring, go back to the dressing room and leave him. He didn't even have to touch us. And oh, he get he gets such a big pop and get over. I remember, too, uh, like when I would be able to tune into ECW and uh, Taz felt like an enigma in a lot of ways, because like there wasn't things that. When I would tune in, I would never really see him wrestle. And but you know, I would always hear about him. I'm like, geez, I want to see this Taz wrestle and stuff like that. And I really didn't get a chance to see him until he went to WAF, to be honest. But like it like he had that kind of enigma, badass rock and presence where like again it speaks to like the 
the diverse group of characters that ECW had from you to, you know, Sabu to Taz to heck, I mean, like even go like, you know, to a Shane Douglas who started it off or Terry Funk coming in there. Just it, he really added to like the environment that ECW was along with. ECW. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I think about the clips of uh, him putting his uh, his finishing hold. He had a chokehold. Uh, it was uh, Taj not Taj Mahal, Taj Mahay, something. Anyway, I remember going back to Bam Bam Bigelow, and Bam Bam went back, and they went, I think, through the ramp. Do you remember yes. that? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Oh, and also Taz uh, suplexes Bam Bam over the guardrail. Into yeah. The crowd. Mm -hmm. That's, man, ECW was not for everybody. Now, can you imagine how many wrestlers nowadays would, like, never even – but, I mean, they watched it, and that's why everybody was impressed with it because we weren't crazy, but – Man, that was definitely not a safe uh, working environment. <laughs> well, it wasn't. From a visual perspective, too, it wasn't because, like, I remember a clip, too. I love this clip. Like, he, I think he's got Bam Bam in the chokehold or a Taz mission or something, and he's, like, flipping somebody off as he's doing it. <laughs> it's, like, just like, shit, man. It's, like, man, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that, like, really got you going back then. That's um, funny. Yeah, how about it? All right. Hey, Rob, so – uh I almost want to table the Van Dam random Van Dam match again this week, you know? So because we got, I don't know, we're running to almost an hour thirty. We can do the some questions, and then you get, we got your RVDology. So, oh, uh, uh, what do you think? You, 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 your call. Uh, we also might do a live show uh, mm -hmm. be, before our next one, so maybe we could uh, possibly also throw it on there. But I don't know if yeah. that'll fit. I don't know if that'll fit, but uh, yeah, I guess. Well, I don't know how long we've been talking. An hour and a half. Hour and a half. Hour and a half. So you, I think. We'll get, well, yeah. Okay. Once we get the questions through, I think, and then okay. we do our videology. I think. Yeah. I think we'll we'll just table it. So save Chris some extra time. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. All right. So yes, let's do. Let me pull up these questions here. They cool. come from Instagram, and uh, we got a couple of good ones here. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, oh, this is a perfect one. So I was just on uh, the Click This TV, and the special guest was uh, a Vince Russo. And so uh, a user on Instagram asks, asks him what he thinks about Vince Russo. I think what, he worked with him in TNA in 2009. Did you and Vince ever cross paths? Yes. Um, I, n not a lot. I didn't really get to know him. Um, I automatically used to always just associate him with David Arquette being WCW champion. And so in my mind, I think about him um, not being healthy for the traditional <laughs> business values. Yeah, I think of him putting Disco Inferno in a rubber duck on a pole match, which I don't know if that actually happened or not. I heard about it. And, uh, and so I automatically, like, think of stuff like that. Um, but, you know, that, that was a long time ago. And, and so now I think of him more as just the guy that way back in the day did that. You know what I mean? We all grow and change, and I don't know. Didn't know him then. Don't know him now. Um we we did talk in uh, TNA. He came to me one time and told me that um, 
he wanted to turn Jeff Hardy heel. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was the stupidest idea. I was like, but the, I mean, me and Jeff are the top baby faces. Like we're rocking the, the crowds, like the fans are screaming for RVD and Jeff Hardy, you know? And, and I, I'm like, I mean, I thought you wait until like things get stagnant until you do that. It's like, well, we're kind of at that point, <laughs> which is what I heard about me. Uh, also, uh, much later from, uh, TNA impact. Um, so it's funny, but I was like, I was not for it. And I was like, I think that just sounds, you know, like you're taking something that works and then putting a spin on it. Why? And he said, he said, well, Jeff, Jeff is really behind it too. Like he's really looking forward to it. And I was like, really? <laughs> All right. Well, shit. Do what you gotta do, you know? And um, that's really like the only um, time that I remember actually like, really talking to him uh uh is during that time so um you know i'm sure he probably in, in passing said a few things probably then when we were both working for them but that's the only conversation that i can remember you know jeff's gonna be a heel and i was like wow that's dumb people love him they want to love him you're gonna make people that want to love him hate him which is what it was you know the mm -hmm. fake kids come to the show yay and just like spitting at him i'm like dude what yeah and jeff doesn't fit as a heel you know he's got that he's almost like that not that he couldn't maybe pull it off but it's almost like he's already got that connection with the fans where it's just like and he's such a great seller too like he's able to convey to the fans like oh man he's fighting he's fighting from underneath and uh yeah i, I don't know i i he did he did turn to me or i remember and i was like it's just not working <laughs> maybe maybe jeff really wanted to he likes to get into these weird characters and you know where he like all that where he paints his face and does all that stuff to him i think those at least sometimes are like representations of of real characters that live in his mind i think because he used to always talk about one um and uh i think was he made willow? A movie. How, willow i think so yeah was it yeah, a, yeah. Mm -hmm. was he uh, a scarecrow or something or kind willow? He looked like a scare yeah it looked like a scarecrow kind of gimmick almost yeah um, i don't know yeah yeah it was something else that's interesting at autograph signings uh which i do a lot of um i've been told by the fans that jeff you know because jeff will draw like a the 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 face paint and everything on, on the autograph takes his time and uh, takes a long time, even when there's a lot of people in line and stuff. And it's kind of funny, but they said that, that, that he will keep like a face for a certain amount of time, a month, two months, whatever it is. And then, and then change it up. And so he keeps, and so he keeps that autograph, you know, uh, linked chronologically to a certain time period when he was signing like that and then moves on and so like you know how do you collect them all i just right. thought that was really interesting that's what i've been told so wow wow yeah i know from experience you take your time with autographs you do a good job with them and stuff and yeah you know, you yeah, but, yeah but i mean i can get through a, a line of people you know i don't start drawing uh drawing <laughs> pictures and stuff you're but. not doing any van gogh shit or nothing <laughs> <laughs> not, not myself i'm not that kind of an artist <laughs> no. hey we all got our own creative side um, <laughs> all right 
So this is kind of a this is a might be a tough one for you because I know like you don't kind of think in this kind of realm thing, but uh, Boy God asks, ask him what match he regrets he, that never happened. Was there a certain one that's just like, man, I could have really liked to tie it up with him, whether this person, whether it was ECW, WCW, you guys, you guys just didn't cross paths. How about my costume? Oh, hey, look at my costume for the for the win, Ooh. please. <laughs> my costume. <laughs> There we go. Hey, that was easy. I, I thought it might have just been a, might have been a tough one. Let's see. No, that's definitely uh, a match that I would have enjoyed. Seeing. You guys would have tore the house down on that one. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Let's see. This will be the last one. Did were you ever in consider? Here, I'll get the guy's name so they give him props. Evan Neal, thirty-five, says. Ask him if there were any plans to, for you to ever win over the Royal Rumble. Was there any conversation that you might have heard or any buzz that you might have got about winning a Royal Rumble match? Um, there was never any talk that I know of, none that came to my ears of me ever uh, winning a Royal Rumble. You know, oh. I think I've uh, no, I've explained on here several times. You know that like I always felt humbled. There was always a, a cycle that I went through of feeling really appreciated and then feeling not appreciated, and it was always like a cycle like that of me uh, uh, through through my time there. And so uh, because of that, you know that that uh, I never felt like uh, like they would have saw me in that kind of uh, position. But you never know, but no, not that I know of. Okay. Did you like the Royal Rumbles? Did you like participating in those and the aspect of it all? So, a Battle Royal is my least favorite match out of all of them. Yeah. Always has been. I feel like it's like uh, too many people in the way. You can't do anything. You're trying to look busy. So I'm just going to go over and I'm going to grab your leg and I'm going to start uh, pulling on your leg, trying to pull you over the top rope. And you're just going to grab onto the rope and hold onto the rope. I'm going to do that for a while. And then I might give up and punch you a few times, look across the ring. Hey, I'll try this guy over here. I might go over there, kick the guy, get down like I'm squatting. Oh, see if I can pick him over the rope. Oh, I can't get him. Um, that's how I interpret Battle Royals um, in general. And so Royal Rumble, um, it's interesting the way they have the intensity spaced out with the timing of each uh, competitor and, and stuff like that. But as far as uh, me being in a match, a battle royal is, has always been one of my least favorites. I could imagine, too, as a talent, it's just like, oh, my God, you got to work with all these people in the ring and you got to just be more aware of your surroundings. It limits you. And But then, um, yeah, the Royal Rumble, for certain moments, there's that aspect that there's the storytelling aspect where you can kind of, you know, open up a little more depending on, you know, where they put you in, you know, how many people were in the ring at the time and stuff. So, yeah, it's a balance. Um, Cool. Hey, Rob, guess what? It's time to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up. We got RVDology happening, as we always do. Right. So, All Rob, right. man, what do you got for us this week? Uh, I will say it was assuming last week. And so, what? Oh, before I put us on you know, on double screen here, I will say I uh, with assuming I 
do a lot of assuming when it comes to text messages and stuff like that when it comes so like if i whether uh i read it in a different context and th that's what you were saying too on twitter is how people will read your tweets in an angry voice you know yeah. and things like that so i tried to be a little bit more cognizant of being like okay when i text somebody it doesn't necessarily mean if they respond in a certain way it doesn't mean that it's like negative or anything like that and i can't put my own things because i'm just making assumptions about it so that's kind of where it stood out for me i think this week so well good job yeah that's good job on uh, on being aware well it's, thanks <laughs> yeah. it was very helpful it, it, it's a really important one you know like uh because we don't know everything, people really want to fill in the blanks so they can feel comfortable and not feel like there's a void of info or knowledge. So, so they fill in the blanks and they just assume, you know, uh, if uh, somebody uh, uh, assumes that um, RVD and Tommy Dreamer used to uh, drug girls, you know, then uh, then then that's what that's what they're gonna think, um, and. And with that, the reason that they're going to think that is because perception is reality. So that's something to always keep in mind because people in general can only see as far as their own wall of vision. Mm -hmm. So so what's real to them, that's fact to them. So that's why it's, it's hard to get people to take in new information and to, uh, to reprogram themselves uh, because it does, it does take changing uh, their, their perception. So uh, that's something uh, that, uh, that I actually want to talk about. Um, it's it's um, when you're arguing with somebody, you got to take that into mind is, is like uh, basic thinkers, since they can only think of so much, their reality, it's totally different because what's real to them is only like like what what they see, you know, um, like small town talk that doesn't work in the real world is like um, like a guy guy talk, a guy bro bro talk talking hey bro, you know, uh, chicks in Bellevue are easy, man. Okay, now. What his perception is based on what the entire female generation, I mean, population of everybody that's in Bellevue. No, no, I doubt it. You know, whatever that's that's his reality, though, I guess, based on whatever experience he had. Uh, most likely he's just uh full of crap anyway. Uh, that's why uh, bro talk is, is bro talk, dude. Um, so. You know, uh, it, it took a, a while to build up thick skin. You know what I mean? The younger you are, the less secure you are because the less you know about yourself and 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 how you fit in with society and and just everything in general. The less you know. I remember in two thousand. Oh, I'm sorry. In nineteen ninety one. In uh, in USWA in uh, at the Louisville Gardens, right? Mm -hmm. uh, after the match, for some reason, during the show, uh, I'm in the back where fans can come through and like buy hot dogs and stuff. I don't know what I'm doing back there. Um, I wasn't even old enough to drink because I'm 20 years old at this. Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> so I couldn't have been buying a beer. I don't know right. what, I was, what I was doing. Um, but I, I remember ha having this, this argument with this guy, this fan. And it was such a stupid argument. But I was the one with the facts, and I knew. But I could not convince him because his perception was his reality. And he was talking about how they add weight to the wrestlers up there. And he was saying, you know, that, uh, that they, they put me at, uh, 210. And he was saying, you know, that I only weighed like 180 pounds. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, actually, no, I said, I actually, I don't add weight because, uh, I never really looked my weight. And I, I, I weighed 205 at the gym today. No, you don't. Yes, I did. No, you don't weigh. There's ain't no way. There ain't no way. Because I weigh 175. You're you're five pounds heavier than me. That's all. And I was like arguing <laughs> like an idiot. Like it was something like, man, I wish there was a scale right here. Because I bet you, man, I bet you all the money in the world, man. I, I you know, and <laughs> I don't know why it was so important for me to try to convince him, but I couldn't. Because he was sure, because that was his reality, you know. No matter what I could have said, uh, short of stepping on a scale in front of him, that's what uh, that's what his reality was going to be. So you have to keep that in mind when you're talking to people, that they all have different realities. A lot of people are from uh, small towns or they only know uh, the the rules of society as far as it goes in their household because they haven't really been anywhere. So, you know, they just know what mom and dad and brothers and sisters, like what their family values and rules are. And so, you know, they might uh, they might say something, you know, like, hey, you don't talk bad about the dead. Well, hey, guess what? If the dad was an asshole, why wouldn't you? You know, like. Ooh, am I gonna get grounded? No, I don't live in your house. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, but anyway, um, people are short-sighted because of that, you know. Mm -hmm. and so you got to check yourself, and, and that's true with us as well. You know, uh, what is reality to us might not be the complete reality to people that know more than, than we do. And this could be coming out soon with all this alien talk. Like they're, they're disclosing all this hidden unacknowledged information that they've had that may include alien technology that may include in super advanced ways of, of traveling and possibly even telepathic communication it's, it's it's crazy all this stuff that's that's coming out now uh and, and people have been following it following it can say it's always been out there that's what i call behind the curtain of uh, eyelids because we've all been blind to it even if it has been in front of our face that's because of the uh, disinformation campaign that mm -hmm. goes against it so it makes everybody sound crazy um but anyway our reality as we know it says that you can't travel the way that those spaceships travel not our reality you know so our our perception is that you can measure it by uh certain measuring systems and, and you can move certain ways and so uh what what is what they're able to do 
is is a whole new reality anyway so but keeping a check as far as like anything like some some of what we you know think we know we don't know this dumbass on twitter um says uh well doctors aren't writing prescriptions for heroin and for cocaine and it's like dude you don't you don't even know what you're talking about like why even why would you put that out there without just googling it first you know what i mean yeah but but I know that we're in a society where there's not as much accountability because of social media, because you can go out there and say whatever, not be held accountable. So because of that, people don't care as much about being right or wrong. Those are the people that I'm going to reach. But the people like me that try not to be wrong because they care about their image, um, try to be right. And one of the ways you can try to be right uh, is to uh, to keep keep that in mind, you know. Like, uh, is is you know, is what you what you say going to be limited really just to your your own short sighted reality, um, or is it something that you, that you really uh, know know a lot about? Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, um, I, I did an RVD episode about this um, a long time ago uh, about. Uh, how how true how true this is uh to everybody everybody their own perception what they see that's real to them and and it's there's there's no two ways uh about it so that's uh that's what i want you to keep in mind i like it and you know i that's a very i mean already i'm already relating about it because it's just like how i grew up in a household uh to the you know town i grew up in to anything like that yeah i had a perception of life and then when you get out of that element and you go into the other aspects of the world and stuff like that you grow and that's i can absolutely think of plenty of incidences where perception was like wow i thought so differently about certain things or life in general and now i it's like i feel a little bit more well-rounded than what i was so it's like and i know there's always room to grow so yeah, holy smokes, bro. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good cool. one. Yeah, like I said, if you want to, you know, to see some more, I did a, uh, I did an episode on it, one of the original RV theologies. I can't remember the story that I, that I told uh, or, or shared or what examples there were, but um, it's, uh, it, it's so true and uh, and it's so obvious sometimes when you're talking to somebody when you can tell that. Their, what's real to them is totally based on uh, on their how they perceive whatever they're experiencing, and uh, and sometimes if that doesn't match up, it's easy to understand why. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you can definitely point it out too, like when you see people like that. Yeah, absolutely, you can. And remember, you know, like um, years and years and years and years and years ago, allegedly. People, they didn't think the world was flat. They knew it was. You know, it wasn't, they knew for sure. Like, that was their reality. Like, we live in a flat world. Yeah. They, they knew that. Everyone knew that. It was fact because that was their reality. So, uh, you know, we've we've evolved uh, since since then, obviously. But then that's that's a good example to think about it. You know, it's not, it's not just, uh, it, it, it's a whole different, like, like for fact this is fact it's how it is and then that can even change i can only totally change 100 percent. jeez 
Well, cool, Robbie. Hey, yeah, you're gonna be uh, you're out and about this weekend coming up, aren't you? You got you yeah. got something going on. Yeah, so I just came from uh, Detroit, which was cool. Um, of course, RVD had the big lines. Um, it wasn't like going home though, because I didn't really see like people I grew up with or anything. It was much like being anywhere else at conventions, but uh, but it was cool. The uh, Astronomicon, I have video footage of it. I'm going to be throwing that up on my YouTube page uh, probably t tonight. Real tonight, not when this airs tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it'll be up there by the time anyone sees this. And uh, I am going to New Jersey Sunday. Um, this will air on uh, Friday, huh? This so. will air Friday, but uh, yeah, this, and then it'll drop Monday. So well, via the podcast feed. Um, I'm at uh, Pandora's Box in oh. uh, Lafayette, New Jersey. All right, all right, so, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the next week is Fanboy in Knoxville, That's Tennessee. Right. That's right. So, yeah. cool. Got a lot of a lot of stuff going on, just like always. I'm at least as busy uh, as I want to be. Uh, <laughs> glad we're taking time to do these and uh, building up a little bit of a uh, following in the by doing so. Absolutely. And it's, it's been a lot of fun guys. Like we appreciate all the feedback you give. And uh, if you want to engage more, go to rvdpod.com, comment on the videos. Uh, it, it really helps too. I, I've noticed we've been getting some traction here mm -hmm. via the podcast too, as well. So the podcast elements, so write a review, go on Spotify, go on Apple iTunes, uh, write us a review uh, and yeah, subscribe to it too. And um yeah, uh, but as far as anything else goes, follow Rob at the Real RVD on all social media forms. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dominic D'Angelo. Um, and otherwise than that, uh, yes. Oh, if you're watching us, you're seeing the full episode, you're on the Premier Streaming Network. But if you're just seeing clips, you can check us out. The full video episodes are on uh, the Premier Streaming Network. Watch on Premier.com, so check that out. So, you think we should uh, promote the live stream we're doing next Wednesday on on the, on Friday when, or and Monday whenever whenever people are listening to this, or we should wait until we know exactly what we're well, doing? So, well, right now we'll we'll just say this right now we're planning to do a live show next week. Keep uh, your eyes and ears keep open. Your eyes peeled for it, and Rob's got yeah. some cool guests lined up for it too. It's going to be a good one. So open up the curtains of eyelids. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right, guys. Hey, we'll see you next week right here on One of a Cup. I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication. I was wasting my time. I got myself up out of the basement. I faked it long enough to say I made it. I was patient. I put up a fight. I kept saying to myself,
time I should have 